Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook, brought to you by Lead Forensics. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, I pick the brains of industry experts, innovators, and sales leaders to draw up a series of playbooks for you to take away and run with. Now, this Sunday is obviously Super Bowl 57. And with that in mind, I wanted to have a chat with Tom Armitage from Smith AI, all about what lessons can be taken from the football field and applied to the sales floor. Bear in mind that as a Brit, football is something of a mystery to me. So Tom was a perfect guest to suggest transferable teachings, and we had a great time recording this. So please enjoy the Achieving Your Super Bowl Goals playbook with Tom Armitage. So obviously this weekend sees the Philadelphia Eagles take on the Kansas City Chiefs for Super Bowl 57. So I thought I'd get Tom on to have a little chat about what lessons that sales professionals can learn from the players, management and supporters in order to achieve sales success. And I understand, Tom, that this could be quite a sore subject for you at this point because you're a big Dallas Cowboys fan and unfortunately they are not in the final for the Super Bowl. I was hesitant to jump on this podcast because <laughs> the wounds are still very fresh, but thought it would be a good opportunity to talk football, talk sales, and I do enjoy talking about both. It's very gracious of you. We're very grateful that you've still agreed to appear on the B2B <laughs> sales playbook. So let's jump straight into this then, Tom. What do you think are some key character traits that need to be demonstrated by both salespeople and football players? So. I know a lot of folks out there have probably read or even participated in the Sandler sales training methodologies and material. I'm reading the Sandler book, You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. Very famous book by David Sandler. And the reason why I'm adding this before I get going here is because there's a lot of really good nuggets in that book that I think relate to this conversation and relate to the parallel that we're trying to draw between football and sales. And one of the things that I'm rereading it for the second time, and I just finished chapter three, and there was something specifically about sports in that, that, that section. And he explained that when you're at the top of your game in sports, you don't stop practicing. If anything, when you're at the top of your game, you practice more than the people that are amateurs or just starting out or are still struggling to get good. When you're high performers, you're practicing more. And he directly relates it to sales because when you get in your groove, when you find your rhythm, when you find the techniques that are working for you, the more you do it, the more you improve your skills, your talent, the, your art of selling, the even better you're going to get. So there's no settling when it comes to sales. Mm. You always need to be continually improving and be working on your craft in the same exact way that you need to work on your craft and work on your athleticism in sports and in football. So that's the very first thing that I would mention here coming out of the gate because you see these NFL athletes, these Super Bowl athletes, how they're performing at such a high level and you know that they're not quitting, they're not resting, they're not doing anything that's really going to allow them to take a, a back seat and just watch on the sidelines. Like they are the ones that are putting in the most amount of effort compared to everyone else in the league and everyone else in the football world. And that's just to, to show like how they've reached the top of their game. Just like top sales leaders have reached the top of their game and they still continue to, to improve. I think a touch point to that is something I heard on a podcast recently, actually. It was, of all people, it was Jimmy Carr, who was on The Diary of a CEO. And he was talking about, there are certain sports people who transcend their sport and become famous within their own right because they are so talented at it they become known almost as a brand themselves and he was talking about just to take it away from football he was talking about michael jordan he's the greatest of all time and he made this really clear point that just it really struck with me he said how did michael jordan get to that position to be greatest of all time how talented was he 
more than anyone else, for sure. But how hard did he work? More than anyone else. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it can only take you so far. So it's the continued, as you were saying, staying literally at the top of your game then. It's the persistent, the consistency is key is what you're saying. And they've told stories of Kobe Bryant about how early he would get to practice before the team actually arrived there. He was already there shooting thousands of shots before the rest of the team got there. And relating back to football, Jerry Rice, they used to have a book on Jerry Rice, and I really admired him. And he used to be up so early in the morning, like climbing mountains before practices and and things that were just like absolutely crazy. (laughs) And it goes to show like that work transcends into the performance on the field. And that's the point that that needs to be drawn from that. So then how would, just speaking about obviously playing and working as part of a team, how does the sales team culture and dynamic compare to the teamwork of a Super Bowl winning team? What are the key factors that you have to really concentrate on to achieve success there? Yeah, I'll reference the Sandler methodology again, because I think it, it also helps answer this question. And it's the continual reinforcement of teamwork and learning. It isn't a once and done, okay, I took this certification I and I now am set up for success for the rest of my sales career. It doesn't work like that. There, there needs to be ongoing, continual reinforcement so that way you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing, you're constantly getting better. So with that said, I honestly feel bad for salespeople who either work on very small teams or may even work in silos or may maybe it's a small organization and they are the only salesperson on the team. Because what happens is there's no collaboration. There's no reviewing sales calls, reviewing sales notes. There's no way to really learn from your mistakes if you're the only one doing it. And the only way, the only place to look is at your own work. There's a ton of value in sales training and sales team meetings. So you can bounce ideas off of each other. You can review your wins, your losses, and what you could do to perform better on that next call, how you can actually improve or adjust your presentation or your presentation skills and all these things that go into salesmanship, there's ways to always improve. And that improvement comes from working as a team. So I'm a huge cheerleader for cheerleader, pun intended, (laughs) for sales training and professional development when it comes to sales and constantly regularly meeting as a team and reviewing your notes and reviewing your performance and you're what you're speaking to there is actually we had tyler witt on the podcast not too long ago talking about that very subject so if you know that appeals to you we have an entire episode on the b2b sales playbook with tyler Witt, all about self-coaching and using your team for help and that sort of thing so go and check that out it's a really fascinating listen tyler like you tom tyler is always worth listening to yeah yeah, and Tyler's a butter buddy of mine, and I love when he gets on his soapbox about this because you can learn from both the wins and the losses. And that transparency, that that vulnerability that comes from really sharing those details with your team is where the coaching actually happens. So I think that you need to be a bit vulnerable when you're meeting with your team and really acknowledging where your strengths and weaknesses are so that way you can learn as a group and get better as a team. And that's where you can really make a big difference. So we've touched on it there slightly, Tom. How important do you think it's going to be to go into the Super Bowl final with a well-conceived plan? And how important is that transferably to sales, do you think? Yeah, you see this a lot come out in interviews with coaches, but they really like to hang their hat on the strategy and really preparing a strategy specifically around the team that they're playing. And that's one of the most fascinating things about football is because there really can be an upset at any given time. In some other sports, it's okay, this team is just 
so incredibly dominant against the others that it's just really going to be just utter domination. But teams match up in, in so many different ways in football that if you really do come in with a strategy that's specific to the team that you're facing, there really could be an upset at any point in time. And I think that's why a lot of football fans get so excited about football games, especially the Super Bowl, because even an underdog can come out on top against the league leader. So with that said, in relating it to sales, you absolutely need to have a strategy in place, both on the marketing side and on the sales side, and those two teams working together with their strategies. But it's crazy to think that a lot of sales folks go into the beginning of their fiscal year really without a plan of action and knowing who they're going after, what their target looks like, what their tech stack looks like, what their messaging looks like, and, and everything that's involved in helping them incrementally reach their goals. And in sales, a lot of times, most of the time, maybe all the time, those goals are quotas, which is okay. And you need to put your strategy in place that's going to help you meet your quotas, but not all of it is going to get done in the first quarter, the first month. You know that there's going to be milestones that need to be reached, and that strategy should be broken down into a, an actionable, realistic, time-bound plan that you that can help you reach the, that goal by the end of the year. And it's the same exact way with football. It's broken down into quarters, and you're going to have your strategy that's broken down in a way where you can try and leg up the competition with each quarter, with each play that's run, and actually slowly but surely make a difference until the end of the game when you've hopefully finally won. How do you go about coping with performing under such pressure where absolutely anything at all can happen? So in, in real life, not that football's not real life, but in, in real life, in sales, I think you can minimize the amount of pressure that's on your plate by being as proactive as possible and by having that plan in place that we just spoke about. I always bring up the Eisenhower chart. Right? You got the fire or the urgent important things that need to be done, the non-urgent important things that need to be done, so on and so forth. And if you can minimize the amount of fires, which is in the upper left corner, the urgent important things, then you're going to be able to reduce the amount of pressure and the amount of stress that's on your plate. And for most people perform better because they perform better when they have the time to actually think and be creative and, and you're not, your back isn't up against the wall. So once again, emphasizing the importance of the plan, the importance of the strategy and being able to map out what needs to be done when, and giving yourself the breathing room and giving yourself the time to, to do it well, to get it done, to collaborate with your team, to seek approvals, to seek reviews, to seek input and feedback, all of these things that go into a salesperson or a marketing person's role. If you follow the plan and follow it well, you can reduce the amount of stress and the amount of pressure. It doesn't completely go away. There's always going to be fires that come up, but the more that you can be proactive about, the less pressure there is when those random fires do come up. Football, a little different because you can't always <laughs> control the surprises that might happen, or at least everyone outside of uh, certain key players might not be able to control it. So I think you just need to become more comfortable reacting to those surprises and to those high pressure moments. And I think the only way to get more comfortable with it is to practice and to figure out ways that you can cope better in those circumstances. And I think it's leaning on your team. And I think it's really preparing ahead of time for those moments. That way you can try to be as successful as possible in those high pressure, stressful moments.
And I suppose at the very least in sales, you don't typically have a large football player charging at you at the time you're trying to make key decisions. You could have a mean boss charging at you, so I guess there's that. You just look up and suddenly Tyler Witt's just head down, gun in for you. Yeah, yeah. I would perform very well if he was coming at me. If mean Tyler was coming at me. Which... um. Which football player do you think would make the best salesperson, Tom? Who could pick up the phone to you and sell you anything from the NFL? I think Mahomes is probably the one I'd go with. And it's a cliche answer just because he's been in the spotlight now for multiple years. But you're seeing how he brought his team once again to the Super Bowl. And the reason why I'm also going with him is he seems so poised and so confident and so comfortable in almost any play that's run, it doesn't matter if it's the first play of the game or a really high pressure, my team is down by six and I'm trying to charge down the field for one last touchdown. It's crazy how comfortable he seems in every situation. And even considering his age, it makes it even that more remarkable. So I think hands down, he's the selection for that answer. And if you can aspire to be like Mahomes in sales situations, you're going to be absolutely successful in all of your sales calls. Because you and I both know, Joe, that the more comfortable and confident you are in what you're selling and the story that you're telling, it ends up making a big difference on the receiver's end with, with wanting to do business with you. So that, that attitude is absolutely huge. It sounds like he's very much separating the result or the situation, I guess, from the team's performance. Okay, this is the situation. It's not about how we got to here. It's just what we do with this opportunity. It is almost like every play is a brand new play where he's just going to perform against his plan and nothing is going to deter him from the plan that he has in his mind or or, or the team's plan in order to accomplish those goals. He's never rattled. It's never... There's never a sense of them going in a completely different direction compared to the one that they set out to achieve. And Mm. relating it back to sales, that's absolutely what you have to do. You have to just (laughs) commit to your goal and stay on track. Many other things that can be pulling you and your team off of the rails, you have to stay committed and you have to stay charging towards that goal from day one to day 365. Tom, let me tell you something that utterly bemuses me as a British person with not a huge amount of expertise with football i saw a statistic a little while ago that said something to the effect of during the super bowl there is more airtime given to advertising and commercials than there is actual sporting play time is that true and how is that a thing (laughs) there there's definitely a ton of time given to the ads in the entertainment as opposed to real live action football. And a lot of people now sit down to watch the Super Bowl that don't watch any other games throughout the season. And I have a love-hate relationship with the ads during the Super Bowl. I think that some brands, actually I'll address my hate for it first. My hate for it is as a digital marketer, as someone who has a background in digital marketing, we know, or most people know that it is much harder to control the effects and the results of something as traditional as TV ads. And on top of that, knowing that this audience in particular is extremely diverse with football fans, non-football fans, people of all different ages, sizes, shapes, whatever you want to say to break down or to describe a diverse audience, it's really hard to pinpoint your brand to your target audience 
when you have a, an audience as wide and diverse as this. So it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for someone that is well-trained in niche marketing, niche advertising that knows, I know my ICP, I know my ideal customer profile, I've developed my buyer personas, I know I want to go after this particular type of person because this particular type of person it has the greatest effect on my brand. They're, they have the greatest average lifetime value and they're going to help refer more customers to me. All of those things that, that create a good ICP. You're not going to find that with advertising in the Super Bowl because there's just so many people. So that's my hate for it. My love for it is that there are some brands that one, get very creative and they are they can be entertaining, they can be funny, they can be memorable if they go about it the right way. And two, some really do more than just the 30 second spot itself. They might hype it up on social media ahead of time. Then there's a couple commercials that might run during it. They run a promotion that drives them to a landing page and they take the experience away from just the TV and they really expand it to a true omni-channel, omni-channel promotion or presence. And that's where it can be much better tracked. And that's where you can get a lot more legroom out of it than just the people that have to be watching during that single sole commercial break. So mm-hmm. that's my big spiel on, on advertising to the Super Bowl. I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I think that some brands really can take advantage of it if they do it right. That's a really interesting concept, actually. The number of eyeballs actually on that piece of marketing, it's the fact that there's within that you've got so many different types of people, as you say, it, it takes away from the ICP. That's a really interesting concept that they have to remove. Okay, so we'll take all of these people and stick it on different platforms all and different channels all over the place. That's a really interesting concept that, you know, it hadn't, hadn't really occurred to me that there's almost such a thing as too many people looking at your product. You're wasting impressions at that point. If you took that ad and you ran it on Facebook and you put the amount of money that you need to put on into it that you do for Super Bowl advertising, which is millions of dollars, it would be as if I went onto Facebook to run an ad and I literally didn't do any sort of targeting. If you are in the marketing space, you know how many ways that you can target on Facebook, which is one of the reasons, probably the reason that makes Facebook advertising so rewarding and so powerful. I can do it from geography to gender, to interest, to to past purchases, to if they've been on my site with remarketing, I have all these different layers that I can target to get down from 2 billion users down to the 50,000 that I know are in my space and could potentially buy my product or service. It would be, the Super Bowl advertising would be me putting millions of dollars behind a, a Facebook ad and not doing any targeting, just hitting the publish button and saying, go ahead. Everyone on Facebook, I want to advertise my product to. It, it, it's so mind-blowing how bad of, a, of an advertising tactic that would be. But yet we watch the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> we accept it as if, it's, as if it's like this genius move by these brands to do this untargeted advertising. It's crazy. I know there's other reasons why they might do it. And as we just mentioned, they take it and they rework it into a lot of different channels and stuff. But like at face value, advertising to the Super Bowl audience is like completely untargeted advertising on Facebook or Google. And it's so silly when you think about it like that. Fantastic. Tommy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and even more so when it's on the subject of football. Um, Before I let you go, gonna have to ask you, I have to make you choose, who's gonna win the Super Bowl on Sunday? I feel like as a true SEO person, I always have a it depends answer. That's like a running joke in the SEO community. So 
who do I want to win the Super Bowl would be the Chiefs. And the reason why I want them is because I hate the Eagles as a Cowboys fan. But who do I think will win? The Eagles have been playing almost flawless football this whole season, and you're probably going to see an Eagles win. As much as that will pain you, eh? It will pain me greatly, but yeah, they've been playing good ball, unfortunately. Amazing. Tom Armitage, thank you so much for joining me for the B2B Sales Playbook. Thanks, Jeff. Well, there you go. Tom Armitage on achieving your Super Bowl goals. Our key applications across football and sales, then. When you're at the top of your game, you don't stop practicing. The top athletes are more talented than anyone else, but they also work harder than anyone else. Be the top athlete in your sales team. There's value in sales training in team meetings, so you can bounce ideas off each other, review your wins, your losses, and what you could do to perform better on your next call. You do need to be a bit vulnerable when you meet with your team, and really acknowledge where your strengths and weaknesses are. Milestones and goals that need to be reached by the end of the year should be broken down into a strategy. It's exactly the same way with football. It's broken down to quarters. You're going to have your strategies broken down into a way where you can try and get ahead of the competition with each quarter. Slowly but surely, you'll make the difference at the end of the game or year when you've hopefully finally won. Thank you for listening and thank you to Tom for joining me, despite the fact that his beloved Dallas Cowboys didn't make it to the final. Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating wherever you can. We'll be back next week with another B2B sales playbook.